Whether on the boat, on the river, or in the woods, Yeti products are by our side. There are many innovative first-class companies in the outdoor market today, but none more so than Yeti. In 2006, they took the industry by storm when they produced their first roto-molded cooler that was reliable and built for the wild. 17 years later, with a multitude of new products, they continue to raise the bar and be the gold standard for all outdoor brands. We couldn't be more proud to have them as a Millhouse sponsor and a family member. Pappas Pilar is a spirit that embodies adventure. Named after the late great Ernest Hemingway and his boat, the Pilar, the name says it all. This ultra-premium blended rum is hand-selected from around the Caribbean and blended by master blender Ron Call. After a long day on the water, when the sun is descending the sky, end on a good note with Pilar by your side. Go support them at pappaspilar.com or a liquor store near you. Richard Black was born with a fishing mind so brilliant he has no limitations. As a young man, he's already refined his craft so beautifully that he's won inshore and offshore tournaments, including a distinguished shellfish event. He started raising eyebrows with his prowess in high school. His skill set is so vast he's now included the Bahamas into his repertoire, which is Chukaluski to Key West. In this interview, you'll see how Richard thinks about all the polished nuances required to win at the highest levels of fishing in the Florida Keys. Don't miss this one. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way, so I double-lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Well, Richard, thank you for allowing us to come into your home. Well, thank you for inviting me and uh, letting me be a part of this. You know, you're, uh, the name Richard Black, I think, really became quite well known when you were a very young man growing up here in Isla Mirada. I mean, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, I think um, yeah, I was always immersed in the fishing community uh, as, as a young age. You know, I grew up um, fishing in Miami canals and here. My dad had some rental properties. He's uh, retired Miami Beach Fire Department. Uh, so we would go up there and work on the weekends and I would fish those canals. And then when I was home, he would take me out close here. And I, I just really got into the whole thing and wanted to be friends with everybody and kind of, you know, just immerse myself is the best way I can put it. What were the names that stood out for you as a young man in uh, the fishing world? Well, Jimmy Albright, he lived uh, down the street from me uh, when I was really little. And uh, I got to ride around a golf cart with him a little bit, so that that was pretty cool. What were you um, doing? In, what were you doing in a golf cart? Uh, we just drive. He was too, he was too old to walk. Yeah, and he, he was, just, just drive around. around. That's it. So I, I got to meet him and spend a little time. Uh, Hank Brown, I spent a lot of time with. Um, after school, my mom would drop me off at his shop, and I'd watch and help him do stuff. And yeah, you know, we we became really close. Uh, Hank and I fished together some, and it, it was he, he was a big part of, you know, my my early childhood and, and learning jig fishing and all that kind of stuff. And I went from there and, you know, tied my own jigs. I've been doing that forever, but it, he was a, a big part of it. So what were you fishing for in the canals in Miami? Uh, there was 
actually we had uh, my dad had a house there um, that he was building and he had to dig a hole in the backyard for the fill for the house so that it had no fish in it so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go in the canals. And that's probably where I started to run, too, because I would go and catch bass and peacocks. And I would grab them and run. To your house. All the way back and let them go. And then I would run back and then catch another one. And oh, that's awesome. So I started doing that. I mean, I was, I don't know, probably a different era in Miami at that time. But five, six years old, I was running fish back and forth. Do you remember the first time you had a bite? The first time I had a bite. I I, I kind of I couldn't say the first time I had a bite. I I, I do remember uh, like the first you know a lot of first fish, right? Um, but not necessarily the very first bite. I but had. you knew you wanted to do it again. I've I've, I've had it bad my whole life. <laughs> um, you we just drive into your house here and you just got off the water. It's May tenth, prime tarpon season. Uh, where'd you fish today? Uh, we, how, how many bites? How many shots? Did you, did you catch any? We, we didn't tarpon fish today. <laughs> we did a lot of other stuff, but we didn't tarpon fish. So, well, that's what what I think is so impressing, impressive, impressive about you is that your your versatility is so so great. And I've heard about your offshore skills, your backcountry skills. If there's any uh, ever a backcountry tournament, you usually win with six bonefish, seven snook, and, you know, three bones or whatever. Jared Raskob says you're the best fisherman of all time. Yeah. Well, he's he's pretty darn good himself, too, I would say. So yes, he I, is. I think the two of us have kind of pushed each other along quite a bit. So he's like one of your good pals. You guys pushed each other? I, I think early on, for sure. You know, when you know we were both starting out, um, you know, both of us have drive to be successful. Uh, there's no doubt. And he's very successful. And For sure. You know, we've... I think we've fed off of that over the years, um, especially the first five, six years, you know, like I really didn't fish the lower keys and he was going down there and he fished the slam with Jim Jr. And Jim Bocart Jr. Yeah. And and they did pretty well. And I didn't really have that much confidence there. And I devoted years in focusing in the lower keys to make sure that I know every corner and everything there. And I feel just like that's my backyard. No kidding. So I think, and he's done a lot of the same. If I'm doing something, he's out there doing it too. Um, and we've been competitive, but we're friends. So when you say lower keys, you're talking about big pine of Key West. All yeah, all the way down. I, I'm I'm feel pretty comfortable comfortable west of Key West all the way to my cutoff is Ocean Reef. I don't like going north Ocean Reef. So if we went fishing tomorrow on Key West, we, we could whatever. What do you want to do? What would you take? It's tarpon fishing. <laughs> no, we're not tarpon fishing. <laughs> you don't like tarpon fishing? No, I'd, I'd rather stay out of everybody's way there and do other stuff, but. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy tarpon fishing when it's good. Right. You know, like anybody does, but, but but you, but you're talking about not liking it this time of year so much because there are so much pressure. There's so many, there's so many people on the, on the water, so much pressure. It, yeah. You kind of like just to be alone because you can go fish for any, everything else. Like, tell me about your day to day. We walk in, tell me what it is like to, uh, in the day of a fishing guide. Okay. Like what you had today. Like what, like start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so well, actually this morning, it's kind of a weird day today, but we, I started, uh, we needed some shrimp, but nobody had shrimp this time of year. And, um, so I got some crabs anyway. And hold on. Did you run? I didn't run this morning. You no. didn't run? No, I didn't run this morning. It, what, no. Are you on the roadie? You're a roadie? You the, run every yeah, morning? I, not every morning, but I run some. And, where, where, uh, did, where did that come from? Uh, I, I've been, I grew up running. I, I ran in college. Um, no, I, I, for the track team? Cross country. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did that. Um, so no, I didn't run today. <laughs> and, uh, from there, you know, I have my game plan already set, bring the rods, you know, whatever we need, um, and, uh, go from there. So it was, uh, unfortunately today I had a flat tire on the way down. So that kind of threw everything into a loop, but it, stuff happens. Okay. But <laughs> then you get on the skiff and are you bone fishing? Do you go permit fishing? No, we're actually doing the Akeem Murata tournament, which is a great charity event here at uh, Chica Lodge. Um, it, it benefits Crohn's and colitis. And, uh, Mitch, Mitch Whittem. Yep, yeah. Mitch puts that on, and it's a fantastic event. Um, I mean, first class all the way. And he's got a bunch of great people, and everybody has, I don't know, probably 30-plus guides, and uh, you switch every day. So the way the point scale and that's set up, you, we you know, some people want to fish for points. Some people want to fish just to go have fun. So right. we, we fish for points today. So. Oh, cool. We did, so uh, let's get back to the story. Where'd you go? <laughs> oh, not where'd you go. But yeah, like, but, oh, we started, we ran, uh, went to Flamingo and 
we caught reds and snook. Uh, we got you're allowed three of each. Uh-huh. And we caught some sharks. Um, caught some Goliath groupers. Uh, we went and uh, <laughs> and we went down the road, permit fished, and we couldn't get those to bite. Yeah, you found a permit. We did, but didn't bite any bites. And then we finished off bomb fishing, and we caught three bomb fish. So well, there you go. Yeah. So it was you a go little, to flamingo. That was kind of six fish. <laughs> that was kind of like our day today. You go see fifty permit <laughs> in the middle of Keys somewhere, and you catch two bomb fish. Yeah, you know it just. I, I enjoy that. I, it's the as much challenging myself. You know, I had set my plan. I do that every day, right. pretty, whether it's tournament or not. And you, you're just trying to match the plan. And some days it doesn't work, and you know, some days it does. Right. Do you do you want to tell Richard about our day today? Okay, so we wake up <laughs> uh, mid morning because I can't I can't get up anymore. Nine thirty. Nine thirty. I'm old and I hurt. But we had stuff last night and podcast work and whatever. But we got up, went on the uh, the ocean side. Uh, don't want to tell you exactly where, but <laughs> somewhere in the lower keys. It doesn't matter it anyway. It doesn't matter where we go because our boat's called Captain Zero. Captain, Captain Zero, the SS Zero. <laughs> we sat out there in the ocean for two and a half hours and had one shot. And yep. you and you snagged a fish. And we snagged, <laughs> snagged a fish. Uh, we had a, we had a. We had a uh, a Key West Daisy chain of two. Oh, I got you. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to your story. Um, but last month is, uh, uh, I mean, is a prime example of your versatility. You run big boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, your last month in the Bahamas. Tell us about about that. Yeah. So we last couple of years we've been going for the month of April, I, uh, part of March, and going over there. And um, I, I grew up fishing. Some over there doing billfish tournaments back when the BBC was going. And, and who were you fishing with? You, were you um, a mate? I, I was, yeah. I, I fished with Robert Collins mm-hmm. uh, at that time, and, and we did some of those tournaments. And uh, um, it, it was you know, a fun time to learn a lot of stuff. And I've kind of taken that, and now I do a little bit on my own. So, And, and I know a great friend of yours, uh, the late you know, uh, Jim Bokar mm-hmm. has passed, and I know you fished a lot offshore and inshore with him. We did, yeah. So he's got a fleet of boats that you can use if you want to fish offshore. Yeah, and I, yeah, we fish uh, still with family. Jim Bokar Jr. and, and Caleb, you know, we, we get out and fish some, and, uh, you know, we've done tournaments and just mostly just regular days fishing, though. Whatever, that's one nice thing, even with Jim, for the most part, whatever I thought was good, that's, that's what we were doing. That's what you and did. That's what I like. So, so did you? Here's what here's what I I kind of find fascinating, which I think a lot of people that watch this podcast is. How do young people learn to fish so well? I mean, we all have mentors, people that have inspired us, but we all personally love to fish, like you yes. did as, as a very young man. And you grew up with Jared Raskob, and you change and exchange information periodically. But you've got to know in your heart, in your soul, in your guts, in your boots. At some point, you know the tide and the fish are going to be there. Yeah, there's some feel to it, you know. Yeah, where does that? Are you born with that? You know, and I think a lot of it's just days on the water. Um, I think some of it's just the way you, you, you know, maybe just like I said, I have it bad, so you're fully devoted to the sport but you know i think one thing for me that helps is my memory for fishing you know i I maybe forget somebody's name but i can remember pretty much everything anybody caught every tournament exactly where the tide the whole thing so if i know even if i have a day that's like the wind changes starts blowing west or whatever i go back and i start thinking like well you know three years ago this time of year, we had this crazy west wind, and this spot it was pretty good. And we call an audible, and you go pull that off, and and all of a sudden, bam! Look at that, the fish are there. You know, most fish are pretty habitual, so it, if you can remember and put things together, you can put together a decent day. Do you write anything down at the end of the day? Do you have a log? For I, I don't. It's all in your head. It's all in my head. I, I don't. I've Did never, you get great great grades in school? No, I, I didn't. You it, were thinking about fishing. It, yeah, <laughs> too much fishing involved, but. Um, I did okay in school. Weren't you guiding in school? I, I guided through college, yeah. So I, in my college years, um, it, it went by real fast between running cross country, you know, driving back here, fishing, schoolwork, you know, trying to get that done in four years. It went by real fast. <laughs> That's crazy. We're talking about the things that you juggle. 
when you first got here today. Mm-hmm. You know, different fleets, different boats. Tell me about what you're juggling. What are those 12 balls in the air that you're juggling? Well, just keeping up, uh, not only with my own boats. I mean, as you saw when you pulled up, I, I got boats here, and then we got a place that hopefully we're going to be building a house at, but I got boats over there. And So tell me about these boats you have. So I, I've got... Um, I have two flat skiffs and a bay boat, uh, and that, you know that's just my 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 deal. Uh, I had a, a 32 CV for a while, and uh, I did sell that, but I also run private boats too, so I keep up with those and help you know the owners of it because you know, a lot of those guys fish on their own too. So you know they're trying to keep up with the maintenance and this and that, and it it, it adds up. It's overwhelming. Very overwhelming. Well. If you, if, what do you like the most besides just having a great day fishing? Do you um, gravitate to one one direction or, I, or I another? I enjoy sight fishing, uh, regardless of what it is. But no, I, I really don't, can't say there's any one thing that I love more than anything else. You know, it's kind of whatever's good. Right. You know, like, That makes sense, too. I mean, it, and, and it's the challenge of it. If, if I want to go do something, you know, or like... You go lower keys and say, I want to break, you know, catch 10 bonefish today or whatever. So the goal is to catch 10. Or, you know, we're going to fly fish for sharks. You know, we want to catch a bowl of black tip and a lemon in the same day. You know, just it's the challenge of it uh, that makes, you know, the fun. That makes the fun for me. Right. Talk to us a little bit about bait. I heard you on, I think it was Tom Rowland's podcast talking about bait. You were going down to Key West on a slam tournament or something. You, You brought all these shrimp and crabs and you filled up the, the bathtub yeah. in a in a hotel to keep your baits protected or whatnot and to make fresh. it yeah yeah the ice them and yeah you know, bubblers them. in it and the whole deal it's that important huh well yeah it, it makes the whole thing it's all preparedness you know you're not gonna go fish the day of the gold cup and show up with the you know your fly rods not strung up and oh we'll rig them up when we get out there it's just it doesn't work that way but I don't think a lot of people understand uh, the how how seriously you take the bait and how serious and how important it is to have fresh bait. Yeah. I, talk, and talk about that. I, I think for the most part in anything bait fishing wise, I mean that your, your success, a huge part of that is measured off of the bait that you have. So, you know, for backcountry fishing, um, you know, whether it's for the all tackle permit and bonefish tournament, you know, I want to have X amount of crabs, shrimp, I have them vacuum bagged and frozen in case there's no shrimp along the way. I start stockpiling crabs the week before. You got to feed them every day. You know, you do want you to have, be do healthy. Do you have pens here at the house? I, I here I just keep everything on air. Um, where our, our other places, you know, um, I have a canal there, so I got I don't know pens and ten canal. bait cages there and ten, the whole thing. And during sailfish season, I get everything's divided and feed them all. And you know, I I enjoy bait fishing too. I, I love doing that. Fish like bait. They, they love bait. They, they love bait. And they love healthy bait. And there's a big difference between right. having bait and having good, healthy bait. Uh, Mark Croca's got pens in his backyard. He does. And it was very interesting because he's got crabs a certain size mm-hmm. in different pens. And he's got bubblers and he feeds them. And I just found that whole world to be fascinating. Yeah, I, I do the same. You know, you divide up even pilchards. Like you got... You know, kite bait size, you got snapper size, snook size baits, you know, for taking to the park or yellowtailing or whatever. And then you got castable bait, you know, it's everything's divided up and everything gets fed different. Did you learn a lot of, of this by yourself or did you have somebody uh, I, that you... Yeah, you... growing up and being a mate and doing some of that, I, I learned some of it. But, you know, you learn little tricks and things along the way. So um, tell us about the trick you're talking about taking bait to a, a tournament, maybe the slam in Key West. Yes. Tell where, us where you know you're, you've got to leave your comfort zone and go somewhere like a hotel or whatever for four or five days because you're going to pre-fish a few days. Sure. You know, you, you got to bring it all with you. So how'd you do all How'd you transfer? How much, how much bait? What was it? And how did you keep it uh, healthy? We usually go down like, let's say the tournament's a Saturday, Sunday. We were going down on uh, Wednesday and fishing Thursday and Friday before. So I would bring the tournament bait. I have usable bait for our practicing, but then tournament bait you don't touch. So... <laughs> That would stay in the room, and you know, once the temperature in the room dropped, that you know the you can keep buckets, and I would bring extra buckets up, so you have clean water that's already chilled. So at night you would swap the new water out with the clean water. It's all salt water, obviously. It's, yeah, all salt water, 
and then we'd have you know i have maybe three buckets of shrimp and a bucket of crabs all divided up and then you put uh i have like mesh in there so the shrimp and crabs climb up they don't all pile on each other on the bottom and then we i keep baiting the boat that was like the practice bait maybe you get a few leftovers or whatever for the tournament but you, you keep and, the bait separate. And you had bait in your in your bathtub? I, I did at one time, yeah. Before Which, I started doing the bucket thing. Tell so. me tell me about that. Just filling up the tub with, you know, three, four inches of water and then, salt water. Yeah, salt water. You had to bring then, it in with buckets. And doing that and keeping the shrimp in there. That worked great, but Where were you showering? That, that becomes the issue is <laughs> with the, the garden the shower, hose. The shower and the peel. And, and out up by the by the lawn. Yeah. Well you got one hotel room for your bait, one hotel yeah, room well, for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Oh, a lot of crazy stuff. But, but it works well. I mean, how important uh, is it for you to win all these tournaments that you've been winning? I, you know, I, it's not the win that it comes down to. I mean, yeah, it's great to win. But almost every tournament I fish, again, I go back to that goal setting. I, I In my head, I know about what it's going to take to win. I mean, they get I throw Jared's thrown me off a few times, but <laughs> how does he throw you off? Well, he's caught winning. More, yeah, caught more than what I thought it was going to take. But uh, and others. So you too. have a figure, and you have a number in your head. What you, it's yeah, take. you get a rough idea. Like it's going to take, and you do enough of them, you kind of know with the weather. You know, if it's real crappy weather, it's sure going to take a little less or whatever. But you know, I get come up with that number, and if I can beat that number, odds are you're probably going to win. But if you don't, um. Sometimes you can still pull it off, but usually you don't. So. Yeah. Do you exchange information with Jared still? No, we talk, you know, but not, a little bit. Not, but we've never really not secrets. So. No, nah, I mean, we neither of us have secrets really. We all fish the same stuff. Right. Uh, he might pull up there at high water, and I might pull up there at low water, but we're fishing the same thing. You don't think you have any secrets? I mean, there's little stuff here and there, but as far as the majority of it, uh, I, I think the big stuff. The no. big stuff. He he knows. Just as many as the best, you know, there's so many great guides I could list that they right. all, there's no secrets. Do you have any enemies out there in the flats? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, you I don't know. Anybody, you know anybody that, that gives you the, um, you know, I've, I've tried the, to the be, fist. I've tried to be pretty uh, cautious. Yeah. Well, and just courteous, you know, everybody, there's enough spots, you know, right. I mean, there's times you press it to try to get in somewhere. Because it's um, gotten more And I've made more, mistakes, it's no gotten, doubt. It's gotten so crowded. Can you still fish where you want to fish on the, for the most part? Yeah, for the most part, for most things. I mean, tarpon fishing, as you mentioned, has changed. Right. Uh, a lot of places, you better make sure you got your A spot first because you get there you're, you're not getting that A spot midday. And I mean, you find yourself there the whole day because you the, can't move? Exactly. You follow the tide you, out you'll, and back You'll in. waste two hours just to be somewhere. Oh. Just knowing that I, we're probably not going to see anything for two and a half, three hours, but we got to sit here because if you don't, someone else is going to sit there. And, and you can't get back in and anywhere. you can't get back in. What time of day do you leave the house for a tarpon morning to get that A spot? Uh, it depends. Um, you know, if it's calm weather, we leave in the dark a lot. It's six. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that I'll fish too are like little corners here and there, you know, you know, a more oddball stuff in the backcountry where it's not as important to get there where I have to be there. So. Right. And you, you mentioned you like the back fish in the backcountry more. Is that because you can fish more freely and there's less boats or is it because the fish m might cooperate better or all the above? Probably all the above. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy that. Uh, I also like the hunt more. Um, like pulling a basin as opposed yeah, to like I, I'm going to go find, yeah. find you in this that corner. So somewhere. much more fun than hanging out on the yeah, ocean. I, you know, I'll, I'll stake on the ocean and I, well, I don't, I say a stake, but I'm on you the pole, but you're yeah. hovering in the same place waiting for something. Sure. And I find myself, um, you know, almost getting distracted sometimes as, as doing that, you know, you get in the boredom, zone. boredom gets you it, there. it does. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I miss those. And, yeah. You know, like, I'm sure, like you said, you had only a couple shots. It's easy to miss shots when you're not getting a lot of yeah, shots. Yeah, you're waiting for an hour for yeah. a shot. And even as an angler, too, you know, you're, you've kind of gotten lazy with. You're not making casts, and you're not stacking it all the time, and all of a sudden you have the shot, and it's not all ready. And, you know, Especially when you get older and you can't see very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, your father-in-law is a very famous guy in Alamrata, Dave Dankert. How much has he helped you along the way? Or um, at I think we, we competed against each other a lot along the way, you know, before uh, Brooke and I were together. I always viewed him as, a, you know, him and Mark Croca and, right. you know, the Redbone stuff in that, you know, through the 90s and 2000s was, I mean, that was a major, basically. 
you know, you won that, you did something good. And I always thought, you know, both those guys were, they were killing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one year, like, you know, earlier in the 2000s, we were fishing the Bay Bone, and Mark Croca, I had heard he ran to the Lower Keys, and he had, like, seven permit and ten bonefish and all this stuff. I'm like, how is that even? The-? And it bothered me to the point that, you know, stuff like that made me go learn it. You know, I- I'm going to figure this out. It's not like it's, you know, some elusive place like if you're gonna win you gotta know all you gotta know it and 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 every condition and there was years i ran from here to point and we caught a permit and turned around and ran all the way to seven mile and caught another one wow um that's crazy you know how how far is that hour and a half uh yeah hour 45 minutes running hard yeah because yeah that's crazy i think the roughest ride of my life was in that one year we ran uh it was blowing northeast at 25 so right down the highway both ways and we ran all the way back to uh like east bahia honda on the banks welcome to my 18 years of gold cup fishing uh, yeah <laughs> just running to the lower keys you're, you're taking five it. days a week yeah that's why i got a back fusion i'm gonna have my neck fused in june no yeah. but you go oh, that, where you, you're where you know and and that's the you know even having a boat i think you know i've had a bunch of different boats but having a boat that you can be fearless in makes a big difference in your guiding and fishing because fearless it, meaning what you run like, hard not even break. i don't run hard uh, i run 28 to 30 miles an hour every day I, i'm not a fast person just trust in your boat but if there's you know let's say it's blowing 25 and you're at sandy and you know it's 25 from the east and that it's rough as anything hard incoming or whatever against the wind and standing three footers there well you're not going to run that in a flat bottom boat and knowing that like if i need to go there i'm going there i think that makes a difference starting from a 90 year old family recipe wickles are wickedly delicious pickles packed with garlic and peppers a staple in our skiff and all shoreline lunches originating from sim's grandmother's kitchen to a pantry near yours from pickles, okra, relishes, and spreads. Check them out to elevate all of your meals to the next level. Duck Camp makes outdoor goods so you can outdoor good. From the shallow water flats to the mallard-filled marshes, Duck Camp is there to make you feel comfortable and enhance the quality of your time in the elements. Not only do they make some of the best outdoor apparel on the market, but they support many of the organizations near and dear, fighting for a resource in the natural world. Check them out at duckcamp.com and tell them we sent you. At least for me. Yeah. Because I, I want to go where I want to go now. Not And that'd be limited by a boat that can't do that. Yeah. So I think yeah. boat choice has a lot to do with success. Hold on. Let's get back to Dave Danker. I'm curious about this. Did you ask him for any advice or help along the way we've talked more now but he knows what i know and i know what he knows you know there's no yeah but what about when you were 18 years old no there was no sharing stuff then none and uh, you already knew it or he he didn't want you to know no i i think a lot of it was i was learning a lot um yeah both of us at that time were pretty equal he it it he had figured out that i knew a lot about jig fishing more than he wanted you to know yeah so you know, we it got to the point at, at that time that we actually kind of nicknamed some of the ditches in Flamingo. So Dave has his ditch. I had my ditch. Uh, Eric Hurstead had a ditch. And, you'd and leave Steve them. Thomas had a ditch. And like and you, that, like you would line up on a certain condition and Eric is there and Dave is there and I'm here. And that's... You would never go to each other's ditch. It, we it really, no. No one really messed with going in there. So <laughs> That's cool. But that's... You know how we learn it. We all know the same. Do you still stuff. have those ditches, or have they, they been they've, lost? They've changed from a hurricane. Um, but was that on one flat? That was that specific spot was on one flat. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, where you know, separated by maybe a mile and a half, two miles, but completely different channels that we were all in. I'm I'm looking over my father's shoulder and I'm seeing this monster Goliath bonefish over there. Tell me about that day and that catch. Oh, uh, that that one was 35 to the fork. Oh my gosh. And we caught that one uh with Bokar? No, actually I caught that with a, a gentleman named John Kaiser that I fished a bunch with. On bait. And, and we did catch that one on bait. Shell key? Thirteen B, yes. And um it, it was we threw it was blowing twenty from the north, northeast, 
and uh, I think he tailed a bunch. We probably threw 25 times to him. You know, every time we, he would turn right or we turn left and we're miss, missing it right. either way. And finally, I remember the fish had made a big mud came up, you know, smoke screen pouring out. Right. Made a left-hand turn and he threw too far up in front of him. And the wind, he had the rod up too high and it kited across. And as I'm telling him to drop the rod and get it down to get that shrimp right. down, it kited across the fish's face as he lifted his head up. And he turned, and the, as the shrimp fell, he just spun around and pegged it. How big is that fish? I thought he was 18. 18 pounds? I thought he was 18. Oh His biggest one I've gosh. ever held. I've weighed some, you know, 14s, 15s with Jim, but that, that one was way bigger than anything else. At least as big as your upper torso. It, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was big. And we were way up on the crown. And I remember first run, and we caught it on five pound braid actually. And it ran like straight to the channel as fast as it could go. And there's no way I was gonna make it. And it got maybe 10 feet and stopped, turned straight back around, ran straight up the line, right under the bow and all the way back up on the flat and did what a lot of big fish do, do that big turn where they dig and turn, dig and turn in the half moon shape they're right. trying to break you off and we had so much slack and there was so much going on that by the time that fish had made that turn he was exhausted but there was no drag on him because we weren't tight to him we were still reeling in all that slack from right. back the other way right and we did a couple laps around and we caught him any thought in your mind about weighing that fish um I would have liked to weigh it at that time. I mean, I would like to have known. Of course, if what, you had a Boca grip or something. Yeah, oh. I would. I would have brought it in. Yeah, to meaning, worldwide. You're talking about killing it for uh, world record. Bringing it in, killing it. Whatever. I, I didn't want to kill it. Um, I wouldn't want to kill it or risk the you know the Damaging well-being it. of that fish. Right. But and you know at the time I had plenty big enough well and we, we could have brought it in the worldwide. I had oxygen the whole thing. It Why didn't you? Because it was against the law. You can't, you couldn't possess it. Oh, it was after the, after, after they changed the law. It was law. after the change. Got yeah. it. Because back when I was fishing in the bonefish tournaments, we all weighed them. Yeah, I we weighed them. them in. I weighed them with Jim, too. You yeah. Know, we, we ran fish. And a lot of it, times he beat the heck out of them, unfortunately. But I remember we fished, uh, Harry Spear and I and Mr. Bokar fished the Baybone mm -hmm. uh, at Ocean Reef. The Baybone. We ran, I think, to Boot Key mm -hmm. to fish. Yep. And Harry's idea of finding fresh fish was going a, another half hour further than anybody than you else thought would. anybody else would yeah. go. I remember we were running probably he had an HPX uh, um, running probably close to fifty some miles an hour, and I dropped my wallet for some. I'm thinking, God, I, it's going to fall out of my pocket, so I was going to move it into my another pocket, and I was an idiot. I pulled it out, and I dropped it, and everything's. Splayed, blowing everywhere not out oh. of the boat but it's just played against the back wall and bokeye and i are leaning over trying to get all my money my credit cards <laughs> and harry never dropped an rpm <laughs> that's how important winning was to him but i remember bokeye he was so serious and i'd never fished with him before because he was a bait guy and i was a fly mm -hmm. guy so i didn't realize that in the term i was going to be like the cooler bitch if you will where i was just the token other angler and bokeye was there to win the tournament but i had it was a team of two. You had the celebrity and the angler. So I remember and he was a magician with a spinning rod. Yes. And and I didn't know what to do with a spinning rod. I'd never thrown one before, right? So the very first, I don't know, 15 minutes of the tournament, Harry's got us up on, on a bank, and here come these bonefish. And Harry says, okay, Bokar, go. So Bokar goes, and he goes, okay, Andy, you go. And I accidentally like threw my shrimp over his fucking spinning rod. <laughs> Looked, I'm going to say you heard it. <laughs> he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. He looked at me and goes, don't ever fucking do that again. I just sat down. Yeah, that's, probably, that's probably a wise choice to sit down at that point. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was real serious yeah, this stuff. Is, this is a real deal. <laughs> so I, so there was, I think I had to catch one fish. So finally, you know, I had the token bonefish. And then I, I was the cooler guy for the rest of the, the, rest of the week. But he was a, he was a great guy. Uh, who... who was the best fisherman that you've seen in your boat? Um, he he was very good at, at big mudding bonefish. Yeah, um, that that was probably what he was really good at at reading it and 
throwing, you know, leading, knowing the the movement. He was the king of the crack crap. Yeah, bite the edge, bite the, and bite the big leads up in front. But there's more to just throwing, you know, twenty feet in front of a fish. Like that doesn't really do much. You've got to know the wind's pushing the current a little bit, or it's coming in this way. The habit of that fish, how many times he turns. If he's going to go up to a ridge, he's going to turn on that ridge, right or left. You know, and some of it was a guess, but he, he was really good at, at fishing those reading, big ones. Reading and reading fish. them. So you would crack it with, you'd just crack he it. He would bite. you bite have the a, corner. Yeah, we'd have a crab. live crab, and yeah. he would bite the the edge, like right yeah. up to the legs. And bite yeah, it you off. know you know where the sharp yeah, yeah. points are? You'd bite that whole thing off. I just wanted Richard to say it. Yeah. I didn't want you to say it. Yeah, no, he <laughs> would bite it off and let it fly. And you, we would go through some crabs. I mean, we big fished a lot together. Um, Why not use shrimp? I, I like to use shrimp more, and at the you know to the end when we were catching big fish, I got them to change some. And, and why we changed a little bit of our style on? I fished deeper probably than he was used to. Um, we fished a lot of like three, four foot mutters, where I think you can be more aggressive on them, and you don't have to read the current as much. It's not as fast, you know. Shallower water, it's condensing down the current, so it's going faster over the bank. Where it stops, you know, four feet of water, they're not going to get the flow that they are up shallower. So I think throwing the shrimp and be able to slide it and move it a little bit just gave us a little more versatility in that that aspect. And you put split shot above the hook, or yes, yeah, yeah, split shot above, and we, we rig it uh, shrimp a certain way where you take the the tail off, but you're not actually there's a part of the shrimp where you don't rip the tail off because then it exposes the meat. You actually you're removing the blades of the shrimp's tail to leave that, it intact. That so, hurt, so you don't hurt it. Yeah, so the shrimp stays alive, and also when you do the hooking on it, the hook's not going to slide because it's actually going through the membrane of the body instead of just a big open flesh spot. So there, there's the, doing that, you wow. can keep the shrimp alive, and you, know, you can drag him along for an hour, and he's going to stay alive doing that. How's the bone fishing right now in Alamorada? Um, I mean, we, and I know uh, it's not great, but... Yeah, I, I think our bone fishing, we've, we've been up and down on numbers, uh, better for the most part, but big fish, no, we, we haven't. I don't think I've seen one over nine pounds since uh, well, se- 17 was the last year I caught one uh, that, that was like a 14 and change. A 14 pound fish in, in 17, 17. And then I haven't seen one since. That year, did you see any other big fish? Yeah, we had, we had not fish? a number, but we had a few a around. Few. I could name them pretty much, but I mean, that, that was, I mean, you're throwing at the same big ones over and over. Right. Hmm. And, you know, I, I think there are some big ones around. I don't think they maybe do the habits that they, that they used to. They maybe stay in channels more. Deeper um, water. Yeah. The, a couple of years ago, we were in the pocket and there was a school of like, 12 pounders that went by us on, on the bottom like a cloud just with big jacks mixed in and they disappeared out like headed out to the gulf so and there there's definitely no 12 pounders back there that's for sure so you know maybe they're out there and they catch some in the bay but we, we just don't see it we just saw a bonefish uh, uh presentation in the lower keys last mm-hmm. night that ross uh presented yeah uh, they had the bonefish aggregation that they yep. showed up in, in Key Biscayne, and they were seeing you were seeing like two thousand fish that got together, and in front of the camera, all these bonefish are going by, and you see this monster, and uh, Ross said that might be a twenty pound bonefish, and that was just filmed recently, so there are big big fish around, but I think maybe possibly the pressure of boats. Yeah, maybe the, you know, food. So, I mean, you think about it, a lot of the bay bottom, you know, there's probably just as much food there as there, there is on a flat. And if you get casted out up on a flat or there's sharks up there, why not stay in that basin where you're safe? You eat just as much. Yeah, for sure. Um, you have all these tournaments that you're fishing. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the big fly tournaments are the spring and the fall flies mm-hmm. and the three tarpon tournaments. Does that, do you have a... Any sort of a really fire to win, like the gold cup, and I, would, I mean, I would love to win a gold cup. What would that mean to you? It would I mean that would be a big deal, um, just as far as career goes, for sure. Um, you know, I I find any of those guys that win that tournament, you know, they're at the prime, both angler and guide, of their tarpon fishing ability. You know? Right. I mean, you know, as good as anybody, you're right. You're you're up there. But I but I I mean. I think that 
if I were living down here in a guide, if you're a, a fly guy, mm -hmm. but see, you're everything. I was just wondering how much does that weigh compared to the rest of the stuff yeah, that it, you do? It may not weigh as much as someone else. That's but what I'm thinking. I, I would still love, I mean, I, I put 110% into that. Sure. You know, I fish with Ed and, and we've, We've got most releases a couple of times, and we've had some bad luck like everybody. But, yeah. You know, How great I, is the preacher man? He, he's Ed great. Ed Young. He's great. He's the best. Come on. Let's give Ed Young. <laughs> preacher man. Oh, he, he, Ed Young. Yeah. Love he, you, brother. He's such a good guy. <laughs> he's the best. Um, what is there out there that you don't know and you're trying to find out, if anything? Oh, lots of stuff. I learn stuff every day. And I always try to figure stuff out. What kind know? of stuff are you learning at, at, at I mean, your level? It right doesn't now? matter whether it's permit fishing or bone fishing, you know, just uh, snooking redfish, all of it. I, I, I want to fully understand just because a fish is there, like why is it there? Is it there year round? Is it there only in this tide? Does he live there? I mean, I, all of it. I, I've, I've always been addicted to learning more about whatever it is. But I think that. People like you have a mind that has the ability to learn where a lot of other people don't learn new stuff. They see this fish and they, they fish for it, you know, quite often here and there and there, but they know that they come in on a certain tide. Yeah. And I think that you might have the ability to learn where a lot of others can't. And I think some you, of that. You think differently maybe. Yeah. Well, and I think some of that is out of my you know comfort zone. I love the, the challenge of it. Um, the, of the unknown you know I, I i remember one year we were fishing in uh, i think it was the spring one of the spring tournaments or something there's no redfish in florida bay and well they're, they gotta be somewhere so i ran from here all the way to chuckalusky and basically pulled in places you know i had a little intel of saying like you know this stretch of shoreline has had some fish this and that and then it just went in totally blind and you we found them and we caught a ton of fish and it, it just, you know, I, I think uh, Rick has told me too that Rick Ru Ruoff, okay, um, you know, we, we're pretty good friends, and you know, he's he said a couple interesting things to me that kind of caught my memory of you know stories and stuff. He's a great storyteller. Oh, I mean, the best, the best. And uh, he was saying something about Huff one year. They were up in Whitewater Bay, and Rick knew this corner of where these tarpon were or something and he had it all dialed in and they get in there and there ain't a fish anywhere and rick's like i, I don't know what to tell you know and i think steve or he said you know why don't we go over there on that that edge over there and i'm not you know i think let's go over there rick said he went over there and there there was a pile of tarpon or you know whatever it is and you know i, I think that certain you've seen so many things and you know I, I by no means have compared myself to any you know any of the great guides but loving the game that much and you start to your mind changes to the point that you put yourself where the fish are i think but and i think that's a, a prime example of when you said you went down to the snipes and caught a permit and you ran all the way up to catch another fish i was fishing with huff recently and he was saying you know, certain days, my mind is racing. I'm wondering, I'm wondering this wind, what is that, that tide doing? Where's, where's that wind pushing that water 15 miles from here? Yeah. Cause I, and I, you make that run. Cause it happens here. You know, you, I've learned that like Florida Bay could be f completely jam packed with water and lower keys it's bone dry from, you know, the content South and I, our water moves like a giant sheet, I think. And it, it's like he said, it's somewhere one day and it's somewhere else the next. And, and I, I think it, it flows that way. You know, Florida Bay as a whole is, flows as a giant sheet anyway. When it's high tide of Flamingo, it's low tide here. So it's moving as a sheet across Florida Bay as one pushing it out on the ocean or pushing it out in the Gulf. Like a tidal wave. Yeah. Hmm. So when you were learning the lower keys, how long ago was this? I started in like mid 2000s okay so there's not like extremely high-tech google earth at the time 
You know? No, I, I'd actually wish that none of that stuff happened. I, I don't like the marine tracks, uh, right. you know, but all I, stuff. That's but. all getting to my question. So how did you, did you take a physical map and say, I'm going to try this on a, much. on a middle of a fall and then you'd go there on a, on a, on a low yeah. rise? And then you start putting it together, you know, like, well, this island's good at high water. Well, that island looks kind of like that island. So maybe let's go over there at high water. And then you, you start putting, piecing it all together, but also going down there, you know, for all the tournaments and, you know, we fished the marathon bonefish tournament, fished down that way. And, you know, just you won that with like 50 fish one day or something. No, we haven't caught 50 in one day, but we've, <laughs> we've caught a bunch. You caught a 50 in a day and a half. Yeah, we've caught, uh, I think last year we had 55, 55. In, three, in three days. There you go. So. But if you didn't have any intel and any knowledge on a certain bank or certain flat, how many, how often would you fish that spot on different tides before I, I try, you cross it off? I, I try try to basically high, low, and medium, and so three times, three, like three times, three times, per spot. Uh, and a couple different directions. And a lot of times, like even today, you go down there, and I do it in Florida Bay. You know, sometimes you run by something. I fished it maybe, you know, five years ago or whatever. It hasn't been good since. And at the end of the day, maybe we swing in there. I take a look. You know, it, and uh, a Harry's, lot of it's just the try. Harry Spear once told me. I spend at least an hour a day looking for something different, mm-hmm. looking for something new. And his, his guide or his, his angler didn't know what he was doing. No, how but, are they going to know? <laughs> but that's how, you, that's how you learn, I guess, as a young guide. Mm-hmm. You have to spend a part I, I, of that day. That's how you learn as an old, older guide. I, I, you're you're still, always learning. You, you, looking at different Always stuff. looking and learning. So are you yeah. doing that? Always. I'm always trying new stuff, little corners. I mean, yeah, you have your routine. You know... If I need to salvage a day, I can go over there or do something like that. But I'm always trying, you know, trying to understand and trying to learn more, keep adding to it. You you keep, you know, it's like an encyclopedia. You mm-hmm. keep filling the pages up and all of a sudden you've got a whole book of all these different conditions and spots and this and that and species and all of it. And you put it all together and, you know, it's that's yeah. what makes it fun. Yeah, so if we go over to Flamingo off. and we catch a couple of snook and a couple of redfish and we're at the third spot of the day. And you go to make a run. It could be a spot you've never fished before. It could be. Or I haven't fished in a long time. Or try it a di- little different tide. And usually you can tell real quick. I mean, we might spend 10 minutes there. And I got, hey, forget it. I'm going to move. There's nothing here. <laughs> you know? 10 minutes it takes. Maybe. Yeah, depending on where you are. But if there's no life, you know, it's life attracts life. So, what do you, so you're talking about stingrays and sharks? Stingrays, and, sharks, and birds. You know, wading birds that tell you a lot on a flat, too. Um, you know, if there's... Even days I can run across Florida Bay, you look out there at Flamingo, if it's dead low and there's no birds standing anywhere, it's probably not going to be a very good day. Like, it seems like things feed all together, so. Starting with birds, I mean, Ray Rozier, we just did an interview with him, and uh, we got into the birds, but not quite a, as extensively as, as we wanted to, and he told me after the podcast a little bit about uh, the offshore world is based mm-hmm. on on birds. Tell a lot me, of birds. Tell me about about your relationship with birds offshore uh, and inshore too. You know, birds tell you a lot inshore. They can tell you where fish are on a shoreline. Um, you know, the how does that bird tell you there's fish there? Certain birds, you know, being there are eating the same thing snook are, and they, they're if they're all hovering down low and you know they're moving around and hopping, they're they're chasing the same minnows that snook and redfish are, a little tarpon. Mm-hmm. You know. What about offshore? Same same thing, you know. Bird bodies of birds are laying around. They they see the food, so you know for the most part, like frigate birds, they're gonna lay on top of food sources. They do it here all the time. They'll lay, you know, for showering sailfish. You'll run down the reef, you know, sometimes ten miles and not see anything, and all of a sudden there's two frigates up high, and you can sit there and park on them, and you know odds are in fifteen twenty minutes there's gonna be a big push, and a fish is gonna come in from offshore and push those fish in and birds come down and get their food and fish slides back offshore and hopefully you're there to catch it. So, so cool. There's, there's a lot, a lot to wildlife in general, I think, you know, but, but can you tell via different species of birds offshore, whether it's tuna, dolphin or selfish? Yeah. Or is that a little too much? I mean, that that's, there's definitely certain birds in the way they act, whether they're on skipjacks or they're on a school of dolphin or, um, you know, they're tuna birds, you know, hovering. Sometimes they lay in the water, you know, they'll all sit there rafting and they're looking down, you know, they're trying to see what's going on and then they'll pick up and move again. Um, 
you know, so they, they, they all do different things. The difference, there's lots of, I don't, I'm not a super birder, so I don't know all the names of them, but I know I'm going to see You them, know what so. they're doing. I know what they're doing for the most part. And Tell us about this tournament you just fished. It was a dolphin tournament and? Oh, yeah, well, this weekend we had a, there was a charity tournament that we fished. Um, just, you know, it wasn't great dolphin fishing and we ended up kite fishing on the edge because it was real windy and instead of getting beat up, we just had fun and we caught some sails and there you yeah, go tunas and stuff the world of richard black <laughs> yeah and my father just said you know he mentioned that we interviewed ray rocher recently and he talked about the spinning baits mm-hmm. do you in do you marinas, guys have a problem the with disease uh, actually in the canal that i keep my baits guys from ocean reef keep their bait they actually run the baits back and forth to your to your from where to i your canal because you have good fresh water there beautiful water there and there's guys that keep their baits down there and they bring them up just for the tournaments and stuff. But yeah, I, I've heard, I, luckily I, I have not seen that down here. Um, but uh, up there, I know they've had major problems with it. Um, you know, this time of year, it's real difficult to keep bait anyway, but a lot of the ocean side canals get the seagrass in there and it takes the oxygen out and it gets difficult. But basically I, I stopped keeping bait, you know, pinning up any numbers of bait when the water temp gets above 80. If it's below 80, you're good. If it's above 80, it it starts getting hard. It was interesting because his comment on our podcast had like 150,000 views talking about the spinning whirling Mm -hmm. disease, whirling baits and stuff. And some people are are talking about, I'll help donate some money to find, you know, uh, the cause of all this. Do you have, have are you talking to anybody else uh, up there and about the concerns and about what might be you know, uh, the answer or trying to find a scientist to dissect this? You know, I don't know. Um, an interesting thing is I think Monroe County is actually doing more than almost any other place, um, you know, up the East coast, as far as canal restoration projects go. And, uh, they, they're actually working on implementing that the first one is actually across the street here. And they're working on this recycling injection well where they're pumping water down into the rock below and so you get a turnover current in the canal to help flush it out and clean it keep it clean yeah and they're hmm. backfilling um a lot of canals were dug too deep and so they need to be backfilled to slope the water so they get more flow going out so i think some of that's a sediment buildup. i mean maybe we've reached a point in a lot of those canals you know a lot of them were dug about the same time um you know may, maybe there's a sediment buildup, sure. and and we're at that point i mean i i don't know i don't have an answer but right. there's there's definitely a lot of research and project development stuff going on uh, in the Keys for it. And, and, and they've got, I think, another 10-year project where they have to do this throughout the entire Keys to restore a lot of these canals. So, you know, maybe we'll be on the cutting edge of finding something new. Yeah. How did you learn how to fish the Bahamas? Um, I mean, it, it's it, it's a, a deep water canyon reef fishery. It's It's like... What does what does that mean? Are you you, ta- are you saying it's e- a little easier than the flats? Um, it, pinpointing stuff is not easier, but as far like you can go out and catch dolphin there. I mean, it's there's plenty of fish there. But as far as learning stuff on catching billfish and fine tuning that, there's guys that are unbelievable at pinpointing and staying on fish, and you know they're the best in the business. Um, I, I by far have not had anywhere near enough experience to. Are they teaching you some of these guys? You should, are they um, no, I, I don't really talk to much, but I, I keep learning stuff. And, and uh, you watch fish behavior and, you know, I, I you drive over them and you start to develop a little bit of a pattern. Uh, I think a lot of places are pattern pattern fisheries so do you have any aspirations of going to like australia and fishing the great barrier reef or granders and stuff like that i would love to go there to see it uh but i don't have to catch a grander that, that's not something you know i, I yeah I, but i can see the, your your interest i mean it would be interesting for me if i were you to be up there in the top yeah. and, and see those things coming in and start screaming. I, 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 don't, I don't need to reel it, but I want to see it. I want it. to see it. I that's, too. that's it. I love seeing stuff. I think it'd stuff. be scary. Yeah, we yeah. miss a ton of bites over there. Um, the, the way we run it, you know, we don't have a mate. It's just, you know, owners, you know, the husband, wife, and me. <laughs> scrambling. There's a lot of scrambling. And, uh, I mean, most of the fun is watching a bite. Right. You know, Didn't just like anything. Tarpon fishing, most of the fun is watching a bite. What's, who has the best bite in the game? What fish? Blue marlin. There's nothing that's more aggressive that wants to kill something more than a blue marlin does. 
There, there's no other. Uh, I've seen a lot of bites, and when that thing wants something to die, it, it's it, going it to kills, kill it. It does kill stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I've never seen a black marlin because we don't have that, but yeah. I mean, maybe that would be something close. But I, I was is, Does that time. have the reputation of being more aggressive? Uh, I, I, I've I've never really it. fished much for black, yeah. so I, it's I, probably I, all pretty similar. I, I, would, I think. would think probably pretty similar, but when you see even like a hundred pound blue marlin, they can get just so fired up where they just have to kill it. it it's it's pretty cool. I'll tell you a funny story. I was in St. Thomas fishing on the real tight with Jim Lambert, mm-hmm. and we we're filming. And we caught a really big fish that morning, like 700 pounds. And then I happened to catch one around 250 on a fly later. We were there for a week. And then at the end of the day, Eddie uh, Herbert was our captain. And I had my fly rod, my line all strung out in a, in a water bucket, you know, waiting for the shot. And all of a sudden, you know, left rigger, left rod, and screaming and screaming and screaming. And Eddie Herbert, and I got my fly, and I'm not fucking moving. <laughs> Eddie Herbert, she screams in. Get that fucking fly out of there. This thing's big. <laughs> right? And I, I hung it. I'm chucking. I'm, I'm in. in. I'm Gotta in. Gotta go. You know? <laughs> they, they pulled that teaser in. I threw my fly and hooked this thing. And it never jumped. It just took off. My reel is spinning. You cannot see it. And I turned to my cameraman, Kenny, or Kevin Tatirian, and I go, something is going to break. <laughs> and and right then, he'd made a left or a right, and everything was that gone. Was it. But I couldn't believe the power I felt oh, it, there for that second. Yeah. But the big commotion, it's like a, it's like a car crashing it out is. of the ocean. It, it is. And and the maneuverability of that fish is just amazing. You know, they, they can they can turn they, on a dime yeah, and roll upside down and crush feet something. Long. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing watching yeah. that fish. Have you caught any marlin around here? I've caught some here. Have yeah. you? We, we've caught a few uh, blues and whites here over the years. On kite, kite fishing? or I caught whites kite fishing, never a blue off the kite. And uh, the rest of them trolling while we're dolphin fishing here. Very cool. Didn't you win a uh, sailfish tournament a couple years ago? Yeah. Against we, all like the we, merits and Vikings? Yeah. And- <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we just got lucky. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, How many did you catch? Just, we caught six. It was not, you know, nothing amazing fishing. It's just, you know, pretty much a grind and... We made a good move at the end and managed to catch, you know, three. It was three each day. It was a two-day tournament. So How many boats? Uh, maybe that was the Chica, so 20, 22 boats, something like that. Were, were you the smallest boat? Uh, maybe we were the smallest, close to it. He had his dolphin super skip <laughs> out there. <laughs> so cool. That's well, pretty impressive, man. Well, thanks. What but, are you most proud of? Um. My whole life, family, the whole thing, that's what I'm most proud of. Just building of, uh, I'm, I'm proud that people like me as, you know, I've had a decent reputation um, and I love doing what I do. That's that's what I'm proud of. That's awesome. You got to love what you do. And I, I, it's First and foremost, your family, obviously. Yes. Although Brooke might argue sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I, I have a, an issue, but. What is your issues? Oh, that sometimes fishing maybe you get you bring it home. I get a little too a little too cranky involved, at home, but you know it's uh, it's a love of the game. That's that's the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. And Emmy, your daughter's hooked on fishing, huh? Yeah, she's she's definitely into it. Um, you know, she's still young, and and we've got her. She's caught she's caught way more than I did at her age. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, I think she does. Uh, she's involved in the IWFA, uh, their junior division. You know, they they do species awards, and you know. So she's into it, and and she sees Linda and, and Brooke, and they they com- are competitive in a lot of the tournaments and stuff that they've done. So she right. she puts herself. So your there. wife is in tournaments, Linda, daughter of Dave Dinkert, yeah. Brooke, or, or Brooke, I name. mean, but she competes against Linda and these other ladies. Yeah, in the IWFA, and and right. it's it's fun for me too. In that, you know, I, are I you love, guiding them? Can you guide your own wife? Yeah, well, it's it's a year long deal, so you're just so you can. You know, a lot of it's just going out in an afternoon. I, I, we, Do you argue on the boat? No, we don't argue on the boat. We, I, I, I'm happy to be out. So, and we don't get the fish that much. Right, we get so busy. It's, uh, it, it's hard. So, if it's something's good, you know, we'll, we'll, so cool. we'll go do it. Well, thank you for allowing us to come here. No, yeah. well, thanks. It's you been do great, have, Richard. You do have a great name. People love you, and your the respect is is unbelievable. So thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity of being a part of this. Thanks so much, man. Awesome. Thanks.
Decades from now, I think history will show that this young man, Richard Black, will become one of the finest, most accomplished fishermen in the Florida Keys. And his good friend, Jared Raskob, will be standing right next to him. And you know what? They already are. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you all again soon. Just a ride, just a ride.